I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. You're listening to Wiretap with Jonathan Goldstein on CBC Radio 1. Today's episode, Pick a Path. There once was a man named Chalchus the Greek, or at least that's what he's remembered as now. When he was only a young lad, Chalchus learned that one day he would die. One day you will die, his father told him. It happens to us all. It's just the way things go. The boy was surprised by this news. Sure, his father would die. Yes, his mother and even his brothers and sister would die. His grandfather had already died, as had the heroes he learned about at school. This all made sense to him. But that he, Chalchus the Greek, would die? No, there had to be a glitch in there somewhere. Yet while it did not make sense to his heart, his budding sense of reason told him that it was empirically true. And so each morning, Chalchus awoke and thought, today could be the day I die. On some days, he was struck with the thought several hundred times. It became impossible to focus on anything else. Back then, there were no psychiatrists or therapists, so Chalchus went to see an oracle. The old oracle lived in the forest, on the outskirts of town. It was a full day's journey there, and when Chalchus found him, he was sitting in the shade of a large tree, staring up at the sky with wide open eyes. Chalchus wasted no time in getting to the point. I wish to know on what day I will die, he said. Chalchus figured that if he could just know how much time he had left, he could then relax. A man only died once, but like this, the way he was worrying and fretting, it felt like he was going through the motions of dying each and every day. After a few vain attempts to dissuade him, eventually the oracle acquiesced and revealed to Chalchus the precise day upon which he could expect his death to arrive. It was a pretty far-off day, though perhaps not as far-off as Chalchus would have liked. If he was honest with himself, he was in fact hoping that the oracle would consult his great book of death and, flipping back and forth between pages, finally utter, That's odd. I have no listing here for Chalchus the Greek. And so the days passed and the day of Chalchus's death drew nearer, just as the day of all of our deaths draws nearer. Except that for Chalchus, he was able to count down the days. Each morning he would awake and think, 2,764 to go, 1,873 to go, 922 to go, and so on. As the days dwindled, what once felt like a vast number, an ocean of days, slowly became a paltry year. 
And then that paltry year became a few skeletal months. And then, what felt like very suddenly, those months turned into weeks. And when they did, Chalchus took to himself. He wanted to be alone with his final minutes, to really cherish each and every second as though they were the last drops of a delicious wine. I've only a few days left, he'd say in a sweat. Curse that oracle for having told me. And then, finally, the day itself arrived. By now Chalchus was an old man, but mostly he felt okay, no major pains or issues. And so when he awoke, he looked around, took a few breaths, waited, and then, realizing that he was still alive, Chalchus the Greek began to laugh. Ha ha, he laughed. He he. So great was his merriment over having fooled the fates that Chalchus threw his arms up in the air and proceeded to execute a jig, tittering hysterically all the while. Hardy har, he chortled. Hoo hoo ha ha, he he. How absurd to have worried, he exclaimed through his laughter. What do oracles know anyway? Oracle. The very word itself was ridiculous and enough to make him twice as giggly. No longer able to contain himself, Chalchus fell to the ground and pounded the earth with all of his might. He laughed and laughed and punched and punched until his fists failed to clench. His lungs ceased to inflate. His throat could produce no sound and his mind became free of all things, even thoughts of his own death. What? Oh, what are you? Do? What? Are, what are all those stacks of paper? They look wet and sticky. I'm sorry. What are, you, what are you doing right now? I was just in the middle of writing this week's monologue for the show, Howard. Yeah, yeah. I know that deal, boy. That's mm-hmm. tough. I'm a writer myself, and I, you know, any kind of distraction could take you off track. And you're a writer now. And in fact, you know, the reason why I came here is so I can get your agent's contact info, and I'll, and I'll be on my merry way. Just. Uh huh. You have a book yourself, don't you? Yes. Yes, I do, Howard. You... How many pages is your book? I don't know, 150 or so. You know how big my book is, John? Wait, hang on a second. That big pile of papers, that that's a book yes. you're telling Yes, me. I have a book, John. Oh, I see. Are you, are you getting nervous, 150? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when my book's done, it's going right. to be 1,205 pages. You know what, John? Because I'm a man. Oh, I see. And when I'm finished, John, I'm going to make War and Peace look like a family circus cartoon. Well, you know, Howard, this is all news to me. But you, you have my full support, and, and I hope you finish it. Wow. Wow, you're really threatened by this. I, what? Well, yeah, thanks for the permission to finish my book, Dad. I'm not looking, yeah, Howard. My, it's going to be amazing. It's going to combine all the great literary genres. Got to connect the dots mm-hmm. and puzzles and picture stories and games. Well, I, I wish you the best of luck with it. And, you know, if I could Boy, just... I'd like to dunk your head in the toilet and wash the smugness right off your face. Okay, Howard, you're getting a little worked up about this. Yeah, well, real writers like me are a passionate lot. And how long, pray tell, have you been a real writer? Howard? Always, always, uh-huh. always. Remember when we were kids? Right, okay, the writing I used to do in textbooks, turn to page 45, and then on page 45 it says turn to page 78, and then on page 78 you turn back to page 23. Yes, ha- yes Howard, I remember. Yeah. You made people flip all around the book, and in the end they hit a page that, right. that says something like, you're an idiot. Well, yeah, I mean, usually more powerful words than that, but yeah. 
Okay, and that was the beginning of my work. Right, your work, and and that that over there, that that big monstrosity, that that's a sample of your work. You know, John. You know, I, I was just going to come in here mm-hmm. kindly as a friend. Right. You know, just wanted just to get some contact unannounced. Yeah. Just wanted to get some contact information, and now the gauntlet has been thrown. What gauntlet has been thrown? Well, now you now you've challenged me. You you want to see some writing? I don't want to see your. Yeah. I, I think here I've seen go. enough of your stuff, Howard. Let us begin. Now this is a pick a path story. Uh-huh. Or a a choose your own adventure, if you will, for the adventure section of the book. That's like where you make choices, and then depending on what you choose, you get sent to a, to a mm-hmm. different page. Mm-hmm. It, it's sort of like a uh, an extension of your earlier work, right? Yes. Your high school. Of, it's uh, my belief, John, that the novel is dead. Mm-hmm. What with the internet and video games, the texting and the sexting and whatnot, people want interactivity. Right. So with Pick a Path, the reader has the ability to affect the outcome of the book. And in this way, it's closer to "quote unquote" real life. And, and of course, you're the you're the resident expert on the on the subject of real life. And so our tale begins. Mm-hmm. Let me just get my what are you tape doing? recorder. Why do you have no. a tape recorder? It'll make it more interactive. Okay. Play. You are Yonifis Goldstaff. Yonifis. The unicorn slayer. What kind of a hero slays unicorns? Well, ev- Magical unicorns that everyone loves. Evidently you do, Jonathan, okay? You are Yonifis Goldstaff, the unicorn slayer, and it is another dreary day of strangling unicorns. To make amusing your cowardly work, you switch from strangling to stabbing the beautiful beasts through the heart with their own horns. But it is still no use. You are bored. Do you A, strike out into the magical forest looking for adventure, or B, go home and stick your head in the hearth? I, I'm supposed to answer this? Just A, a or B. A, Howard. Okay, uh, turn to page 173. Okay. Okay. 173 is the one that has the ketchup stain. Is that how it's indexed? You're so droll. No sooner than you step into the forest, you are confronted by the evil wizard Gregorn. Mm -hmm. He has lashed together his Sword of Shannara, Sword of Truth, Thor's Hammer, and five pixie sticks, mounted them all onto the tip of his crossbow, wrapped it in barbed wire, dabbed it with dog poo, set it on fire, and has aimed the whole thing directly at your hoo-hoo. My hoo-hoo. What do you do, John? What do you do? You know, I I guess I just start running, Howard. No, 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 John. You have to choose from the choices. Okay. Okay. That's the... the rule of the novel. Uh-huh. Okay, now do you A, do you jump into the bushes like a coward? Right. Or B, bear your sword and challenge the wizard? I guess I, I challenge him. Hmm. It's your life cycle. Okay. Turn to page 43. Okay, I'll go back here. Okay, here we are. Gregorn laughs mockingly at your puny sword and shatters it with a gesture. Thousands of shards fly directly into your eyes and manhood, rendering you simultaneously blind and sterile. You writhe on the ground and accidentally roll off a cliff and fall to your death. The end. Yeah, way to go, John. All right, Howard, thanks for coming in. All right, I'll I'll, I'll email okay, you. Okay, okay, wait, the... wait, 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 wait. Come down, come down. Okay, since I'm the story master after all, okay, mm-hmm. well, I can bring you back to life and I can grant you a third option. Oh, I see. So you know, let's just skip ahead to page six fifty-eight. Okay. Okay, here we go. You are enveloped in a glowing blue light and transported to another land. You encounter a young warrior princess named Howard. 
a princess named Howard. It's a male princess. You, you mean a prince. No, that's that's something completely different. How is that? What do no, you... John, I don't have time to explain the nuances of the genre. Can we just move on? He introduces himself to you. I am Howard the Hardy. Hardy Howard the Invincible. Or as my friends call me, He-Man Howard, the Unicorn Slayer Hater. God. What's your name, coward? My, my name is, is Goldstaff. Uh-huh. You shakily, sweatily whisper in morbid fear. Nice. What? Howard cries out. Why, your father was my sworn enemy. Hmm. How dare you show your face before me? Why, I, 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 that is, yeep. You squeal. Your mincing, mealy mouth excuses cause the noble warrior to lash out in barbarian rage. You're, you're a regular Tolstoy. By the shield of sweet Hariasa, I shall make pure the land in the sweet anointing blood of those impure. Okay, now, do you A... Uh-huh. Try to fight him like a gentleman, knowing full well you'll end up a monstrous freak who makes children cry when you wheel by in the cider cask that you both live in and wear as clothing. Mm-hmm. Or B, do you empty your boar's leather satchel of its loot in a cowardly attempt to buy your way out? Okay, now, John, on a side note, uh, as a friend, I mm-hmm. suggest you just keep your pie hole shut for once and just, you know, just pony up the cash. Here you go. Here's all my money. It's a wise choice. Less like a fantasy all of a sudden. That's Feels flip like to page 832. Mm-hmm. Okay. Donning his boots of striding and springing, Howard slaps the coward across the mouth, withdraws his bamboo practice blade, and bisects the coward neatly in twain. Why would you have told me to pay up if you knew that he was just going to end up killing me anyway? Once he is certainly dead, Howard removes his breastplate and sits down on the hillside to play his noble bardic song. And... Play... Sweet, sweet death is yours, me lad, and such a cowardly life you had. In death, you've been sliced in two, one half jelly, the other goo. Split down the middle with this sword of mine, and even splayed open, I can see no spine. Stupid dummy, nincompoop. Okay, all right, Howard, enough of the song, thank you, all right? All you're doing is killing me over and over, all right? Things might have been different had you chosen wisely. I mean, like, like what do you how? Want me to... if, if I had chosen to fight, what, what would that have done? Let's see. Okay, let's, uh, what's that? Turn to page 1124. Howard raises his magical cricket stick, ready to strike his first blow. You fall down, feeling something stick you in your side. Why, it's the baby unicorn in your purse that you were planning on making into another purse. In a cowardly panic, you throw the baby unicorn at the rugged princess. Mm-hmm. You see, you're, you're finally showing some courage. Good for you, John. Yeah, good for me. Okay, so now now what happens? The little unicorn bounces off Howard's broad chest and harmlessly falls to the ground. No coward will murder you now, little friend, says Howard to the poor little unicorn. You will be my pet forevermore. The baby unicorn then spits in Goldstaff's eye. Very nice. Goldstaff cowardly crab walks away as Howard says to him, Good show, little fool. And now if you'll excuse me, I'm obliged by natural law to murder you dead. Howard winks, then brings his mighty cricket bat to rest, repeatedly, on Goldstaff's face, neck, and chestal region. It is a painful, messy, and cowardly death, and no one in this magical land will ever remember Goldstaff the Unicorn Slayer, nor sing any songs in his honor, as he was a complete failure and a nobody. The end.
that, that was pretty good. All this was was just you enacting this murder fantasy. I didn't with kill me. you. You killed yourself. But you learned something in that. What is it that I learned? May I ask? Well, you know, before dying a coward's death, it's it's good to live a little. Howard, I didn't live at all. Every choice I made led to death. That's that's sort of existential, isn't it? Okay, Howard, take your papers, whoa, whoa. please. Okay, well, you okay. still haven't even given me your agent's info. I'll, I'll email it to you. Okay, well, look, just okay. careful with those hey, papers. Wait, wait, hang on a second. Howard, the, the, you were writing on the backs of... Just just recycled paper. This, Reuse, recycle. This is the manuscript I'm working on. Well, you just left it lying around. I this mean, was in my desk drawer. Mm, I don't remember that. I what else do you have in here? These are my important documents. When inspiration strikes, I don't have time to boot up a computer. Th this is stuff from my safety deposit box. Same thing. This is my Same grandfather's principle. war diary. I was trying to find some some valuables to sell, have maybe a nice steak dinner or two. I, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Well, do you a cry like a little whimpering baby, or b pick yourself up by the bootstraps and encourage your friends to help? favorite one-hit wonder or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have or that tv show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon now what if we could fix it i'm francesca ramsey and i'm delon grant and after 20 years of friendship we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called let me fix it each episode we'll dig into our favorite celebrities shows and brands of yesteryear and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today think of our show as an intervention but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. So Megan, I, I stumbled across the blog that you do, which is called The Saddest Shit in the World. Yes. And to, to, to explain it, it's sort of like a celebration of the everyday pathos of life, where you kind of curate these sad images. Right. Those Those little moments in your day when you see something that just depresses the hell out of you. So, for instance, you give one example of being in a Salvation Army and seeing someone buy a used Alcoholics Anonymous handbook, which which is sad, but what elevates it from the mere sad shit in the world to the saddest shit in the world is the fact that the man was paying for it with pennies. Yes, that's a true story. That happened to me, and it stuck with me for days, weeks, and so... I definitely have my moments when when I'll see the sadness and things that maybe other people wouldn't. Like at my job when um, a coworker of mine who is really out of shape got duped into doing 20 push-ups for a $10 McDonald's gift card and couldn't finish them. And he, all he wanted was, you know, a couple burgers and he had failed in front of the whole office. It, it's sort of it's sort of a paradox. Right. Like if you can do the push-ups, then you're not the kind of person who would want the coupons in the first place. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and what has been what's been the uh, feedback that you've gotten from from visitors to your to your site? Well, I think that people appreciate the opportunity to drop the cultural expectation that we have to be thinking on the sunny side of everything. And just being able to wallow in whatever, you know, pathos they have, large or small, and they seem to get a certain level of satisfaction out of that. It's, it's sort of like a colonic for your sadness. Right, it's cathartic. 
You, you know, Megan, when I was reading your blog, it brought to mind uh, another writer who sort of does what you do, except it's the complete opposite. And I thought it might be fun to, to sort of face you guys off. The pessimist versus the optimist. Sort of like the glass is half full versus the glass is half empty kind of thing. Okay. Um, do you want to hold the line for a moment? And uh, I, I'm going to dial them up. Sure. Let's duke it out. Hello? Hey, Neil? Hey. Hey, um, uh, I'm on the phone with uh, Megan, Megan Carlson. Hey, Megan. Hi. And Megan, this is Neil Pasricha, who wrote a book called The Book of Awesome, based on his blog of awesome things, which is sort of like a compendium of hundreds of different things that are just uh, awesome, right? Like like wearing underwear just out of the dryer, uh, or smelling bakery air, that kind of thing. So, Neil, could could you um, explain how you started doing this? Sure. Well, I, I mean, 2008 and 2009 were pretty tough years for me. I was um, in a marriage that was heading in the wrong direction, and I had a, a best friend that was suffering through a major depression. And as both those situations sort of went from bad to worse, you know, my, my wife left me and my best friend took his own life. I kept coming home from work trying to think of one way uh, to put myself in a good mood. So I, I started up a tiny little blog called 1000awesomethings.com, as a way to remind myself of these simple little pleasures, um, like getting called up to the dinner buffet first at a wedding, or when the cashier opens up a new lane at the grocery store. And slowly over time, I, I found I was starting to, to make myself feel a little bit better. And, you know, I don't think of myself necessarily as an optimist. I mean, I think everyone has bad days, bad weeks. I mean, I told you about bad years in my life. Yeah. But we're surrounded by these small, simple moments that, if you look at it in a certain light, can cheer you up and make you feel pretty awesome. Okay, well, I, th- I thought that maybe as long as I've got you guys on the phone together, we could play a little game. Sure, sure. What I'm imagining is sort of like in the cartoons where there's a little angel on your <laughs> shoulder and then there's a devil on your other shoulder. Yeah. Right. I- I'm not sure what I'm talking about, but I just thought it would be fun to, you know, make you guys fight for my soul, basically, <laughs> in the form of a game show. I'm ready for the game. They've got my pitchfork ready. <laughs> All right, let, uh, let the showdown begin. Round number one. Neil? Okay, let's start with the other side of the pillow. The other side of the pillow is an awesome thing. And so this is when, you know, you're laying in bed, and the clock's clicking past 1.30 in the morning, you're sort of wide awake, you can't get to sleep, and you try to go to the bathroom, maybe you try reading a book, and nothing seems to be working. This is when you turn over your pillow to the cold side, and it just sort of feels like a tiny little moment of awesome, and it helps you fall asleep. The other side of the pillow. Okay, Megan? So I think the flip side of that would be why you're having trouble falling asleep in the first place. Maybe you're thinking about how spiders, too, like cool, dark places, like the underside of your pillow. (laughs) Okay, and time for round number two. The next awesome thing is when you get the milk-to-cereal ratio just right in your bowl. Because the exact opposite thing is not awesome when you've got about six limp Cheerios floating in a huge bowl of milk. So when you get the milk-to-cereal ratio just right, that's an awesome thing. It's the saddest in the world when you remember where milk comes from and that we're the only species on the planet dumb enough to consume another species' breast milk, fill it with mini marshmallows, and call it a meal. But it is delicious. All right, let's move on to uh, round three. Round three, ding, ding, ding. Picking up a Q and a U at the same time in Scrabble. Picking up a Q and a U? How about picking up herpes? <laughs> That's a rough game of Scrabble. 
or um, picking up your last paycheck because you got caught playing too much online Scrabble at work. Hopefully in that last final fleeting game of online Scrabble before you got canned, you picked up a Q and a U at the same time. That would be the most disappointing silver lining. It's almost like a brass lining. Like a rust lining, maybe? <laughs> you need tetanus for it? Uh, all right, uh, moving on to round four. All right. How about um, when you hear someone smile over the telephone? Hearing someone smile through the telephone fills your heart with a little rush of good memories and a good connection with a good friend, and it's awesome. Am I smiling right now, or is that just an icy silence? <laughs> it, I feel almost bad bringing a counterpoint to such a, a heartwarming moment, but sometimes if you think you hear someone smiling, it's probably just the silence of them browsing the Internet and trying to find a way to get off the phone with you. Wah, wah, wah. Um, <laughs> all right, how, how about one last one, uh, tiebreaker, just sure. end things off? Awesome thing, locking people out of the car and pretending to drive away. It's just a funny game when you're on a long road trip, you got your friend out pumping gas or maybe going to the variety store to grab some beef jerky. When they come back, you just have to inch up with the doors locked like, ah, oh, we're going we're gonna to drive away. And it's a joke and it's a game and everyone just laughs, but that's what makes it awesome. And then, of course, is the saddest in the world when you get locked out of the car and they actually drive away because they forgot you and you're eight years old and you're crying, and they never come back. That's just an example. That's just an example. <laughs> totally hypothetical. D did that happen to you? I don't really want to talk about it. <laughs> okay, well, on that note, I, I think we have no choice but to let Megan win. But, Neil, I mean, you, you don't mind losing anyway, right? I mean, you're going to walk away from this like, yeah. that was awesome. Absolutely. That was fun. I, I mean, I think there's so many different ways to look at everything, and I I actually went to the bookstore the other day, and, you know, a woman was flipping open the book, and she's like, look, honey, um, the extra French fries at the bottom of your McDonald's bag, that's awesome, I love that. And the husband, his reaction was, I totally disagree. He's like, those aren't awesome at all, those fries are cold, they're limp, they're soggy. And so I think that there's so many different ways to look at the world. And Megan, you're thinking that that French fry couple in the bookstore went home, got into a huge explosive fight. Actually, I was fixated more on Neil spying on people. In the, <laughs> yeah, you the see. Store and how sad that is. Ouch. I will try not to look at anybody in the future. Well, well, thank you both for taking the time to do this with me. Absolutely. Thank no you. problem at Thanks, all. Thanks, Neil. Thanks, Megan. Have a good day. Okay. Bye-bye. On Wiretap Today, you heard Megan Carlson, whose blog can be read at saddestintheworld.tumblr.com, and Neil Pasricha, author of The Book of Awesome. You also heard Howard Chakowitz. Wiretap is produced by Jonathan Goldstein, with Mira Berkman-Tonic and Crystal Duhame. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.